afternoon, this evening. I'd like to welcome you to church. And I welcome those that may be downstairs and those that may be watching on the internet. As I always say in Sunday school, it's a wonderful day to be in the Lord's house. This evening I want to talk to you about something. <clears throat> and I got a title. It's kind of a catchy title, I hope, that uh, maybe it will cause you to listen to see why I use something like that. You may think when I t- you heard the title this morning, some of you, what's that got to do with church? What's that got to do with spirituality? What's that got to do with the, the gospel? The title I, I chose, and I've used it before, is back, I think back in 2008 that I did that. And of course, this is not going to be the same thing. It never is. <laughs> you may have the same title. You may use the same verses. But it's always going to come out different because the Spirit leads us and, and we grow as we, as we go through life. And that's one of the things that's going to be talking about is growing night. But I said, the title this morning, if you're going to run with the big dogs, you've got to get off the porch. Now, some of you heard that statement, and a lot of us live in the country. Some of you on the internet might know what that is. Uh, some of you have hunting dogs and so forth. And in a literal sense, if, if you're going to train a hunting dog to run with the big dogs and you have a young dog, you're not going to do it on the porch. You've got to get off the porch. And uh, otherwise, if you let him lay around the porch, you go outside and say, oh, let's go. He may go, but don't tell him where he's going to go if he's not been trained. But I want to use it in a spiritual sense and more of a figurative sense tonight. That porch that I'm talking about is a figurative porch, is the porch of life. You know, some people just go through life, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, and they're just on the front porch of life. And what do you do? You're just watching the world go by. You're not doing anything. You're not helping anybody. You're not serving anybody. You're not serving the Lord. You're not growing. You're just watching it go by. And what I'm talking about is getting off that front porch of life and doing something. Now, in doing that, I'm going to be talking about serving the Lord, serving the church, serving each other. But I want you to be careful, as we talked about in Sunday school class this morning, don't judge one another in this, okay? You may not see what the Lord is leading someone to do. There's a lot of things that people can do to serve the Lord and to serve others that we never see. So you've got to be careful about that. As I said this morning, if you start judging people and pointing your fingers, there's three of them pointing right back at you. And that can be a problem. And, uh, but let's look in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 16. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. This is a familiar uh, verse. You've heard it many times here in this church. And this is talking about, and when it says from whom, in the very first one, it's talking about Christ, as it refers to verse 15. It says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and impacted or compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. And there's some kind of big words there, and it says a whole lot, don't it? But what it's talking about 
is, to put it in simple words, the way I like it, is there's a job for everybody. There's something everybody can do. And there's a, God, there's a reason that God saved you. There's a reason that God put you in this church. If there wasn't a reason for him to save you, if there was nothing further for you to do, he could just take you on home then, and you wouldn't have to be here. But he doesn't do that, not normally. <laughs> uh, in the case of the thief, he did <laughs> on the cross. But he has a purpose for us. In other words, he left us here to do something, to serve him in some way. To go. Of course, the Bible teaches us that our purpose in life is to glorify God. And how do we glorify God? We do that by obeying him and making known his character and his attributes to the world. That's how we glorify God. His glory is wrapped up in his attributes and his character. And it is shown to us in the Bible. And we're to share that. And it's not made manifest any more greater any place other than the gospel. And I'll talk about that some tonight too because that's always part, should be part of a sermon. But we've got to be careful about judging others. But we have a part to play. Everybody is, the body is fitly joined together, it said. We're not all individuals just doing what we want to do. We're here for a reason. We're here for a purpose. God put you in this church for a purpose. He saved you for a purpose. It may be just to pray for people. Some people, that's maybe all they can do. Some people I know, they pray for people. They write cards. They call. And they encourage people when they come to church. And they're faithful in the church. Others may serve the church in a, in a different way. They may do things in the church. They may be a teacher. They may be a song leader. May be a preacher. They may be serving the offices of the church and different things. There's always things to do. And I was brought to this partly because of the Sunday school class this morning. What Paul says is to be doers of the word, not hearers only. That's what a true Christian is, one that is saved. It's one that does something, not just hears something. And Randy talked about that some a few minutes ago. But we're to be doers. That's not mean we go out and decide what to do. It, we should be led of the Spirit. We should pray. We could seek uh, advice and counsel and find out what there is to be done. There's a lot of things in our church right now. We have a lot. We're very fortunate in our church. We have a lot of people that volunteer, do a lot of work for the church. But there's still things that need to be done. There's some things on the bulletin board back there at Children's Church right now. One of the things that we've talked about in men's class is we need volunteers to be drivers, for example, for a bus. There's no reason to have a bus out there just sitting there doing nothing. So before we get a bus, we need to have people that are dedicated to be drivers. But the point is, you may not be able to do any of that. But if you want to know what there is to be done, simply ask and you find out. You ask the pastor, ask the deacons, ask maybe some of the Sunday school teachers. They might need help, whatever. You can find out. We have a lot of people that can help you with that. But there are things to be done. But it says also, according to the effectual working. What is the effectual working? <laughs> That's the leadership of the Holy Spirit in the church. 
That's what we are to do. We're to follow that leadership, and that's where it comes from. And there's a measure, in the measure, every part, and that leadership of the Holy Spirit is available to everyone. And that's what we're to look for and to pray about and seek about. And that's what I pray about tonight, that the Holy Spirit would lead me in anything I have to say here and using his word that it may be made effectual in your heart in some way. God promised his word will not return void. And I hope my feeble effort tonight that he can use it in some way to help you. It's more of a challenge is what I'm talking about. And it says, unto the edifying of itself. Of itself. It's talking about edifying of the church. All we do and all we say in our life every day, where we go out and we work or we go to the grocery, we make whatever we're doing, you know, people are watching. They're looking. And they make judgments about you. If you claim to be a Christian, you claim to go to a certain church, whatever, they're going to make judgments about the church because of that. So what we do in every day, not just what we do in church here, of course what we do in church here should edify God, edify the church, and glorify God. But what we do in everyday life also. So that's the purpose it lays out there for the body of the church. <clears throat> Look in 1 John 3.18. I'm going to have a lot of verses tonight. You might not have time to look at them all. But I'll give them to you so you can write them down if you want. <clears throat> First John 3.18. And this is the basis of our service. And it says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, love in the Bible is an action verb. It's hard to love someone and sit on the front porch of life. You can say, I love the whole world, and you sit on the front porch of life. You're not accomplishing anything, and that love isn't doing any good whatsoever. But it calls us to action. What are you going to do with that love? He says, but in deed and truth. Deed and truth. Do you truly love one another? Christ said that's how we'll know that if he's, we are his disciples, that we love one another. But what does that love call you to do? Well, it calls you to serve the Lord, serve one another. It's been stated many times right here from this pulpit, you can't learn to serve Christ until you learn to serve one another. How can you serve one another? There's lots of things you can do. They may need help in something or whatever. Serving one another is also serving the church. If you're serving in the church in some capacity in the church, you're serving the other people in the church in doing that. So there's lots of things that you can do to serve one another. But it's because of love. That's where it comes from. If you do it to, to be admired... (laughs) <laughs> look how great I am, man. I just do this and do that. Man, ain't I a good person? If you lift yourself up in pride in that, the Bible says you have your reward. But as Paul said this morning, we should do this to be approved of God. We do it for, to God, to edify him, to lift him up, to glorify him. 
if that's what we're doing it for, your heart's in the right place. We can do all kinds of good apart from that. Those that are not saved can do all kinds of good as far as man is concerned. You know, they can give money to the poor. They can uh, even give houses, build churches, whatever. But if they're not done for the purpose of glorifying God, what does God call those things? They are as filthy rags. So whatever you do and however you serve, you need to have the right attitude about that. And the right attitude is you're doing it for God. And that's the reason that a lot of things you may do, people might not even see. But God knows, and God sees. And he does is the heart. So don't be afraid to do those things and think that, well, I have to, nobody notices, nobody cares. Well, God does. (laughs) God cares, God notices, and God sees. And if you're doing them to be noticed of man anyway, then you're wasting your time because it's not doing you any good and it's not glorifying God. So what we do needs to glorify God. Look in James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. And that's what James has to say about it. It says, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. We can deceive ourselves. We can come to church. We can join the church and, and be faithful to the church. And we're just hearing the words, but it's not having any effect on us. We have not actually trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That now, doing a lot of people want to take these verses I've just read, both of them in both chapters here, and want to say that's a work of salvation. You've got to do something to be saved. No, the Bible tells us we do things to glorify God because we are saved, not to be saved, and that's what James says here. I'm going to back up and read verse 21. It says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. That's the gospel. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not of what we do. But because we are saved... We do those things to glorify God because we want to do those things and the Holy Spirit leads us to do those things. If we're hearers only, we may be deceiving ourselves. Maybe deceiving others too. But more importantly, we're deceiving ourselves, thinking that we are saved when we're not. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 2 and we studied that again this morning in Sunday school that the Jews rested in the law. They thought they were saved because they had received the law of God. But they were not doers of the law. The doers of the law are those that come to Jesus Christ because that's where the law points us. It points us to Christ. So if you're going to fulfill the law, you have to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. He has fulfilled the law 
for you. <clears throat> so we're not to deceive ourselves. Verse 23 says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. He was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. <coughs> continue in therein. That means once you hear it, you apply it, you abide in it, you do those things which you're called forward to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you're saved, you're going to want to serve the Lord. You're going to want to follow him in baptism. You're going to want to join a good New Testament church, and you're going to want to obey him, and you're going to want to continue to serve him as you go forward in life and grow as a Christian. Now, those things become, because you are saved, not to be saved. Look in Romans 6.13. I'm going to back up to verse 12. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments, or that means weapons, of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Alive from the dead. The Bible clearly teaches that the natural man is dead in trespasses and sin. Spiritually dead. But he says... Showing that you're alive from the dead and your members as instruments. What are instruments for? Instruments are to be used. An instrument is no good if it's just laying there on the front porch <laughs> or sitting there on that front porch. It's to be used. I mean, if you're a carpenter and you have a whole bag full of of uh, tools or instruments and it's just sitting there it doesn't do anybody any good whatsoever if you're a doctor and you have a whole hospital full of instruments and they're not used it's not doing anybody any good if you haven't been saved by the power of the Holy Spirit and given that new life you have become an instrument unto God. And some people want to look at that and say, well, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, right? And the other side of that, some people are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. So it's got to be somewhere in the between there, right? How do you know what that is? Well, you study the word. You come to church. You listen to the preaching. You come to Sunday school, listen to the teaching, and apply those things to your life. 
applying those to your life and growing is doing the word, not just hearing it. That's the doing. <clears throat> Look in John fifteen five. I might be going faster than I should be here. There's a lot more I can say about these things. But I got a lot of verses to go. <laughs> We're going to be in John here for a little bit. Everybody knows the story about the vine and the branches. This is Jesus speaking here. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So, if we want to serve the Lord, and we want to glorify him, we first must come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You must answer that question Ronnie Ashton this morning. Who Christ is. And that question is a personal answer. And you have to personally answer it. And you have to do more than just know what the Bible says about it. You can know what the word says. You know what the preacher says. But unless you actually repented of your sins and confessed him as your Lord and Savior, and trusted in him in true repentance, you're still not saved. That's what the Jews thought. They thought that because they had the law, they knew the law, that they were saved, that they were safe. And Paul was very clear in telling them that that doesn't save you. You must be not only hearers of the law and knowing the law, you must be doers. And what he says here, Jesus himself says, you are the branches. What's the purpose of a branch? In a literal sense, a branch on a tree, a branch on a vine, a branch on anything, there's only one purpose of that, and that's to bear fruit. That's what it's there for. It bears fruit. Of some type. And that's what we're there for. We are the branches. Jesus is the vine. We're not branches unless we're attached. And you're not attached unless you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And says, he that abideth in me. What does that abideth mean? Well, it means live in, trust in, be part of him and him part of you. And you can't do that if you haven't trusted him as Lord and Savior. You cannot abide in Christ. You cannot bear that fruit. He tells us this very plainly. He says, He abideth in me, and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. We're talking about good fruit here. And then he says, this is a statement. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, I can take that in a literal sense, and you can take that as a spiritual sense, too. In the literal sense, that without God, we would not exist. Without God, his grace and his mercy, we wouldn't receive the next breath. You wouldn't receive the next heartbeat. 
So you could literally do nothing. You couldn't even live without God. But in the spiritual sense, in serving God and glorifying God, you cannot do that apart from Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people all over this country, I think in churches, all over. Like I said, churches may be full of people that are not saved. And some of the things that some of the denominations teach, it's very doubtful that very many of them are saved. Like I said, I can't judge that. You can't judge that. That's between them and God. We can judge the fruit, but we can't judge the heart. Look down to verse 12. And he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. If you belong to the church, you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's not just something you're supposed to do. It's not just something that's nice to do. It's a commandment. This is my commandment. He says, the commandment of Christ, that you love one another as I have loved you. And again, I remind you, love is an action verb. You can't just sit on the front porch of life and love people. You you may think you love them in your mind, but you're not actually expressing that love. That love isn't doing anybody any good. If you hold it within yourself. There's things that you can do. In the church. There's things that you can do in everyday life. You know you can love someone. By witnessing to them. By sharing the gospel with them. By inviting them to church. Maybe helping them in other ways. Other ways. But spiritually there's a way. Praying for them. Okay. Letting them know they're being prayed for. That's love in action. And that's what he's commanding us to do. But for as one another, lifting one another up, other members in the church, encouraging them, supporting them, giving them help when they need help, whether whatever type of help it may be. Like I know there's one lady in the church that uh, she can't do a whole lot. But I know she prays for people. She's very faithful coming to church. She sends cards to everybody she can, can, birthday cards, Christmas cards, special events, anniversary cards. She sends cards of sympathy. She sends get well cards. And guess what? She makes them all herself. Some of you know who I'm talking about. And she don't seek any glory for that or for herself. She knows that's a gift from God. And that's serving. That's loving. This is my commandment. That you love one another. You know what he says? As I have loved you. What did Christ do for us? He did what nobody else could do. He did not what nobody else could do. He paid the price for my sins on that cross. 
He died. He lived a perfect life. He died on that cross, shed his blood for me, to redeem me from my sins. That's what he does for everyone that comes to know him in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what he did. Not only that, he sent us the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who leads and guides us, who draws us to him, who gives us that new birth. And without that new birth, we would have no desire for Christ. We would have no desire to serve one another. We would have no love for one another. Now this love that he commands here is not one that we do in order to show that we love. We, do, we have that love he commands it in us because he has given that to us. That's what he did as he loved us. He loved us first and he gave us that love so that we can share that love with others. Now it's not a reciprocal love that, well you did this for me I'll do that for you. No. It's a love he put into us that we did not have before because he first loved us. His love is in us and therefore we can love others. And we're commanded not to hide that. He said in one of his prayers, we're not to take that light and put it under a bushel somewhere or set it up on that front porch. <laughs> you know, a light on the front porch just shines so far. Okay? You've got to get off that porch. <clears throat> Look in, uh, let's see, verse 13, uh, or John 13 Verse 34 and 35. John 13. Verse 34 and 35. And this is. You know if something is said in the Bible. Or if Jesus says something one time. Or in God's word, it's, it, it's one time, it's important. But if it's two or three or more times, it's even that much more important. We should pay attention to it. This is what he says in verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Same thing as we just read over in, verse, in chapter 15. In verse 35, though, he says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We don't become his disciples by loving one another. But we love one another because we are his disciples. You love one another because you have been saved, and you have been called, and you have been commanded to love one another. Now that glorifies God because people see that people that come and visit people that know people in the church they can see that love for one another so it is a witness for God and it glorifies God and it edifies the church which is what we said we were supposed to do all the way back in Ephesians when we read that verse in Ephesians by this shall all men now that all 
isn't all without exception. Every place you read in the Bible is not necessarily an all without exception. But this all means that everyone should be able to see that and know that. That's a witness to the world. That's how we can witness, be a witness to the world. That's one of the things that the Jews were called to do, the nation of Israel. They were called to be a witness to the world of God. That's what he says he called them for. We studied that in Exodus the past several months in the Sunday school class. But that's what Christians are supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do today. That's how it relates to us today. All men. We can be a witness to everybody out there by the way we treat one another in the church and the love we share for one another. And you can love other people outside the church as well. They may be Christians. We may love our loved ones. We may love our family. They might not be saved. But this love here is talking about the agape love. We only have that because God gave it to us to start with. Look in, uh, let's see. Well, I'm going to, while I'm here, I'm just going to read it. John 3, 16. Everybody knows what that says. I'm sure most everybody does. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, that's misinterpreted in a lot of ways, and I'm not going to get into a lot of that, but one of the things it says is whosoever believeth. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to believe. It doesn't mean that everybody could believe. Because it is said in the Bible also that you only come to Christ by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You come to God through Christ. And you can't come to the Father without Christ. So you're not going to believe unless the Holy Spirit is working in your life. But if he is, you're one of the whosoever that believe it. We don't know who those are. There's not a preacher alive, not a person alive that knows who those are. We're told to do something different, which I'll get to here in a few minutes. Look down in verse 21. It says, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought of God. They are wrought of God. What we do as Christians that are good works in service of God, we can't take credit for it. We can't lift ourselves up in pride. Some people do, or they try to do that. But this right here takes that away. It says they are wrought of God. 
So if you're getting off that porch and you're doing something and you're serving your church and you're serving other people, don't lift yourself up in pride. Like I said before, don't look how great I am. Look what I'm doing. You know, I'm very humbled to be up here tonight to share this word and I thank, thank the church and I thank God for being able to do that and I just hope that it glorifies God, that he can use it. Because whatever good comes out of it, the verse right there tells you it is wrought of God. It's not me. Whatever you do, it's not you. You may think, well, I thought of a good thing I could do. Well, <laughs> where do you think that thought come from? If it is to glorify God, it came from God. If it's to glorify yourself and lift yourself up, it's not a good work. And it's not of God. <clears throat> when it's wrought of God, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, He gives you life. He gives you breath. He gives you a heartbeat. He's giving you all of your abilities that you have. He's giving you the will to do so. He's giving you the strength and the desire and the health. And on and on and on. Whatever is required to do that work, He gave it to you to do. Whether it's to help somebody financially or help somebody physically or to encourage somebody, He gave that to you. The ability to do that. So it is wrought of God. Look in John chapter 8, verse 31. I only got a couple more verses here. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking. It says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. That continue there, I mean, is, can be translated abide. It also can be translated simply do, doing his word, obeying his word, following him. Then are you my disciples indeed. You don't do that again to become a Christian. You don't do that to be saved. You do that because he has already saved you. That the Holy Spirit's given you a new life. This is just manifesting that work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and it's glorifying God. It is a witness to the world. A witness to the world. You can be a good witness or you can be a bad witness. If you leave church and you go home and you live like you did before you ever joined the church and, and you're going out drinking and partying and all this stuff and cheating people and all that stuff, you're a witness. Now, you're a witness. You're a bad witness. You're actually blaspheming God when you do that. You're claiming to be a Christian. You're claiming to follow Christ. And as Paul said this morning, by doing those things that you tell other people not to do, against the word of God, you're actually blaspheming God in doing that. So we need to be careful about that. When we get off that porch, we need to make sure that we're getting off for the right reason. 
We're doing it for the right reason. And we're following his word and obeying him and lifting him up. <clears throat> now, what keeps us on that porch? Let's talk about that just a little bit because I'm about out of time. But look in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And what this is, is the original sin. And Genesis 3, verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. What is that? That's doubt. And then the next verse says, For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What is that? That's deception. That's two of the main tools that Satan has, is doubt and deception. There we are sitting on that front porch of life. And we're not doing anything. So Satan kind of fills in that vacancy there. And he says, well, you won't do any good anyway. You're not going to help anybody. You don't know how to do that. You know, they don't care whether you do it or not. That doubt. And then he deceives you. He says, well, you're not worth that. God's not helping you in any way. You know, doesn't do any good to listen to that, to read that Bible. Doesn't do good, good go in church. Doubt and deception. That keeps us on that front porch. And the way we get off of that is we turn that around and we look in the Word, and we listen to the Word, and we do the Word, not just hear it. Doing the Word means obeying the Word, understanding the Word, growing in the Word, and following what Christ has to teach us. <clears throat> sitting on that front porch is sitting on the sidelines. Getting off that front porch is getting into the game, <laughs> if you want to look at it that way. Waiting for the world to go by, just sitting on that porch. Lack of commitment brings bad fruit, false teachings, lies become truth, and it brings judgment from God. Why do you think our world is in such a bad shape? It is because we have pastors in this country, we have churches in this country, they're sitting on the front porch. They're not doing anything. They're not doing anything. Sitting on that front porch slows the growth of the church. There's something that everyone can do. And like I said, if you don't know what there is to do, just ask. We can show you there's things that you can do that you can help out. One last verse. Two last verses. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. I think it's not been too long ago since you've heard these verses. <laughs> But it applies to us today. It's the last two verses of the chapter. <clears throat> First word. Go. You can't go sitting on that front porch. You can't go. But it says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them 
to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Of course, that was a commandment to his disciples, but it's a commandment to us today. It's a commandment to his church and to us individually. But what did it start out with? Go. Go. You've got to get off the porch. If you're going to run with the big dogs, you've got to get off the porch. <clears throat> I'd ask you tonight, the first step is to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you hadn't done that, and the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you and drawing you to that, tonight may be the night for you to do that, to obey him. And as our song leader comes, and uh, if Randy would come up, I would ask you to follow that leadership. It's time it may be time to get off that front porch. Thank you.